what the past week has uh, has brought. Uh, it's pretty obvious from the previous shows that um, I'm currently translating Ezekiel. Turned out to be the worst false prophet, maybe ever. Um, yeah. And I've spent a lot of time. I've written uh, four volumes on uh, uh, completely excoriating Paul's credibility and Christianity with it, destroying the credibility of Christianity and the Christian New Testament and Paul's writings uh, to the point that no one who has ever read the four volumes of Questioning Paul has remained a Christian. And the book that I wrote, which is maybe one of the best read, most read books in the world now on, on Islam, Prophet of Doom, uh, which uses the words of Muhammad to disprove Islam, the Quran, and, and Allah, is a uh, is also an extremely uh, effective tool at disproving religion, but um, Ezekiel is just, is a different beast entirely. Uh, the Quran is an isolated yeah. thing. You can just say, "All right, I'm going to look at Muhammad's words and the Quran and Hadith, and, uh, and demonstrate that he was full of it." Uh, you can isolate Paul's pathetic 14 letters they're exceedingly easy to disprove you can pinpoint his influence on the christian new testament and it's it's contained and exceedingly easy to disprove Ezekiel's exceedingly easy to disprove there's nothing in it that's accurate i mean it's it's just one lie after another exceedingly poorly written um and clearly demonic and it's uh, it's overtones but the difference with Ezekiel is it's been placed right between legitimate prophets. Yes. And yep. three religions adore it. Mm-hmm. And so to take it on is a, a whole different kettle of fish. Uh, and this week's trauma was that um, um, a couple of weeks ago, I uh, finished uh, translating and commenting on, or I thought I'd finished translating and commenting on, the 16th chapter of Ezekiel, which is pornographic. Uh, it's um, yeah. misogynist. It's, it has a, uh, uh, it shows that the covenant, uh, the original covenant was the product of rape, where Yahweh forced Abraham to rape Sarah. I mean, if it was true, that's what it, would, that's what it says. It's, fortunately, it's not true. Um, right. And then uh, Satan, who is the lord of uh, Babel, the voice of Ezekiel, um, uh, talks about taking Jewish women and uh, as uh, just as they enter puberty uh, and having his way with them. Um, it is it's vulgar. Um, yeah. And and it's far worse than just state claiming that. He impregnates Jewish women, and they have his children. They, he has them slaughter them and butcher them, and and then he has the women um, I, um, sliced and diced and burned and um, stoned, and uh, it, it's I mean it's revolting. Uh, it, yeah, and it's and it's tough to take because it is so graphic and so disgusting and so sadistic. That it's it's tough to take, and uh, and particularly if if you are a woman and have grown up 
in a rather sheltered environment. Say if you've grown up in a religious environment prior to coming to uh, engage in the covenant and you haven't had the exposure to the the raw edge of, of uh, sadistic humanity. Um, yeah. it's, it's, it's tough to take. And, mm-hmm. and yet it is, if there ever was a chapter that needs to be taken on literally, it's this one because uh, it is the basis for religious oppression of women. Uh, Satan right. dehumanizes them. He objectifies them. He is the one who, who perpetrates greater crimes against them than have uh, Christians, uh, Jews, and and Muslims. Um, so it is. It's a tale that needs to be told because it's the end result is that women can be liberated from the oppression of religion. And they can heal as a result of knowing uh, how Satan influenced Judaism, Christianity, and Islam to torment them. And best of all, we can hold the religious accountable for perpetrating this horrible crime. So it's one of those things that is as bad as, in fact, worse than you can possibly imagine and yet exceedingly valuable and good because of what we can do to help the oppressed uh, who have been tormented by this book for 2,500 years. So anyway, uh, uh, it was was so uh, strongly received by uh, different people members of our family as they were reading this thing for the first time. And, you know, I'm pretty callous. I'm, I'm relentlessly rational. I'm going to tell you exactly what the words mean. I, I don't pull any punches. And, and for me, you, you just go through the material and you say, this is what it means. Um, but uh, I, for women, it's a different story. Either those who have been abused by it and are seeing their abuser face-to-face are those who have never been uh, subjected to it and, uh, and are seeing the crudeness of it, and it's uh, offensive. Um, yeah. So it was quite the experience to go through it uh, and to see various people's reaction to it and, and the way that I had to uh, rework it to make it effective. Um, because Ezekiel is so asinine um, from beginning to end. I have chosen to use the Elia approach, which is sarcasm. But when you get into something as lewd and grotesque as uh, Satan's um, dehumanizing of women in Ezekiel 16, sarcasm Mm -hmm. just doesn't work. But you can't tone it down either. And so I replaced the sarcasm by just a relentless pursuit of the truth. Um, uh, explaining and uh, justifying every conclusion so that it was bold and blunt and and irrefutable because I I sense that we're at war. Yeah. And uh, we're at war. uh, I think what I, one of the things I wrote down in the chapter is it's, it's like if you were walking by and you saw 
a bunch of religious zealots justifying their rape of a little girl. And what would you do? Are you going to try to stop it? Are you going to try to explain to the men that what they're doing is wrong? Are you going to stand up for the girl? Are you just going to walk away because it's really uncomfortable and nasty? Or we at least stay there long enough to be a witness so that should the girl survive, you can at least hold the perpetrators accountable and, and do her that justice. What are you going to do? Yeah. And that ultimately becomes the decision that everybody has to make as we confront Ezekiel 16. What are you going to do? Are you going to join me and be a witness? Will you go one step further and join me and be part of the chorus, exposing and condemning this and standing up for the victim, which are religious women worldwide? Mm-hmm. Billions of them. What are you going to do? Just because it is vulgar and uncomfortable. And so it's really, it was an, it's an amazing experience that we, uh, we all had as we grew through this and, uh, and um, tried to come up with the right tone, the right words or uh, something exceptionally uncomfortable. Um, anyway, my, my hope is I'm now um, about a uh, third of the way through the seventh chapter of uh, the second volume of, uh, of a series we're calling Babel. Uh, the two volumes of Babel will be uh, Daniel, which is already written uh, and published, and then the second one on Ezekiel. Um, and I think uh, we'll end up posting this on the website before the volume is done and to try to share it because uh, there's a lot at stake. Um, uh, and what we have found is unequivocal. Um, Ezekiel is not inspired by God. It is inspired by the devil himself. And uh, it is uh, blatantly obvious. It is irrefutable. But it does mean a lot of things. That uh, It means there is no Magog war. Uh, it means there is no millennial temple the way it's described in that book. Um, uh, it means that uh, the depictions of God and his um, uh, multiple chariot wheels and riding around uh, with uh, the four beasts is not true. And it right. also means that God's uh, attack on women uh, is invalidated. Um, So anyway, that's where we are in our translations. We hope to uh, get to that. Um, I can tell you when I read the final revision of this chapter, it's chapter 5 of uh, the second volume of Babel. It's not posted anywhere yet, but but I think that uh, Dee and the social media uh, team (coughs) will probably um, post excerpts of that chapter so people will have a chance to read it. We do want to make it available because it's, uh, it is written in defense of women worldwide. Um, uh, it, uh, it's going to be interesting to see people's reaction to it. Um, and hopefully, I, I think, in fact, almost certainly, uh, it will be received in extremes. The religious will yeah. do everything they can to condemn me since they won't have an argument against the, uh, the translations or the conclusions. Uh, and those who have been abused by religion will feel a sense of freedom for the first time of their lives, a, 
uh, a hand out to lift them away from this, uh, a time to heal yeah. and someone to stand with them and, uh, and condemn this uh, vile monster. Uh, so it is an interesting uh, voyage we have been on. Prior to that, I had thought that the most aggressive assault um, marshaled among the prophets at uh, Judaism in particular was found in the book of Hosha. And we just concluded the second chapter of Hosha in our program uh, last week. And well, I, I still think that the book of Hosha is the most informative uh, for Jews that are questioning their religion. If you're not questioning your religion, it just go away. There's nothing anyone can do to help you. Uh, you are impervious to evidence and reason, and even the testimony of God himself won't uh, matter to you. So uh, we're not speaking to you. Uh, for those that are conspiratorial, you have no means even now of processing the truth or understanding it. Uh, you're, you are a joke uh, apart from your own little support group that tells you what you want to hear. And uh, the overtly political, uh, whether they be conservatives or progressives, um, once again, uh, they isolate everything that uh, isn't supportive of what uh, they believe to be true. But there is a significant group out there who are questioning their politics, trying to walk away from them, who are questioning their religion, trying to already have walked away from it. And the words of Hosha should resonate with you. Um, Yahweh's universal disdain for mankind's most prevalent institutions, uh, in particular religion, not only the single most repeated theme throughout his testimony, but also the least understood. With few exceptions, and for relatively short periods of time, God and his people have been estranged for the past 4,000 years for a singular reason. Humankind wants to be religious, and God hates religion. Well, that is an exceedingly surprising conclusion for all but the covenant family, covenant members, those who are Torah observant. If you're a Torah observant, you know goddamn religion. But if you're not, you have been beguiled into believing that uh, the God of the quote-unquote Old Testament uh, is exceedingly religious and you have to obey his religion or you are sent off to hell. But the truth is, the God who inspired the Torah prophets and Psalms, his name is Yahweh, is exceedingly and overwhelmingly anti-religion. And not just some religions. He despises Christianity, Islam, and he is antagonistic towards human governmental schemes, whether they be um, democracy or communism or socialism and, and most economic uh, schemes, particularly the caste system and slavery. God is the ultimate libertarian. He wants everyone to be free to choose to know him, to 
manage their lives as they see fit. Now, addressing the empire that is most synonymous with institutionalizing religion and integrating it into their culture and government, it's Babylon. Like when we speak of Ezekiel and Daniel, the two books that make up the, this volume, both were written in Babylon. The uh, Jewish Talmud, the Babylonian Talmud, uh, the Babylonian effect is exceedingly negative. And that's why when Yahweh introduces himself to Abraham, we find Abraham has already begun walking away from Ur of the Chaldeans, which was in the southern part of what became Babylon. And he's, the fact that he is walking away makes it possible for Yahweh to invite him to be part of his family. Until you begin the process of walking away from religion, God is unknowable. He's unapproachable. It's the first condition of the covenant. Walk away from your country. And in particular, Babylon, which is the birthplace of institutionalized religion and its integration into politics. Mitzrayim is also a, an example of something Yahweh wants us to walk away from. Mitzrayim means the crucible of religious and political oppression. It's why Yahweh liberated his people from this place. Etched in stone. Uh, speaks of Yahweh as a liberator, as one who brought his people out of and away from human oppression. The second statement is entirely anti-religious from beginning to end, with God encouraging us to avoid every permeation of religion because of what it does to our lives, corrupting us and precluding us from engaging in a relationship with Him. The very institution that claims that it leads to God and leads to eternal life with God is the very institution that is the greatest inhibitor of forming a relationship with God. Now, when we move from to the uh, tablets, to the invitations, particularly Pesach and Matzah, uh, they were conceived and fulfilled to, to resolve the life-threatening and the infectious nature of religion and politics. Uh, the separation of God's people from Mitzrayim, from Egypt, began with Pesach and Matzah. They're going to die, you're going to live. Pesach. Matzah, they're infected with religion. I'm cleansing it from you so that when you leave, you're not carrying it with you on your way to the promised land. And of course, the next fulfillment we're looking forward to with Great anticipation is Kippurim, the day of reconciliations, when Yahweh and his family, Israel, are reunited again. We spent considerable time discussing, because it was brought up in Hosha too, the story of what happened in the Jezreel Valley. It's the epitome of, of religion gone wrong. Not that it ever goes right. And we learned about how Elia responded 
to the prophets of Asherah and Baal. But even with the death of the lords, Baals, priests, the lore of religion would captivate the people, and it ultimately necessitated the divorce so vividly portrayed throughout Osha, this long intermission of 2,700 years. Now, continuing to use the infidelity of adultery. He's not talking about a husband or wife uh, cheating on their spouse. Uh, I know it sounds crazy, and it's, uh, it's something that the people have a tough time with, but when God speaks of adultery, even the statement that he etched in stone, it has nothing to do with a monogamous marriage. God doesn't care if you have one spouse, two spouse, five spouse, ten spouse. It doesn't matter. He says nothing about uh, premarital sex or uh, any kind of sensual experience outside of marriage. In fact, there really is no definition of marriage. And rather than divorce being, oh, boy, God's going to get you for that. God says, if you're not happy with who you are, write him a letter and and go on your way. Uh, God's not rude. You know, it's. He doesn't want you to engage in a sexual relationship that takes advantage of uh, someone or that is just perverted, that, that's harmful. Incest is exceedingly harmful. It'll ruin a yeah. child for the rest of their lives. It's exceedingly mm-hmm. harmful. God says don't do that. Rape, exceedingly harmful. Don't do that. Bestiality, it's actually disgusting for the animal. Don't yeah. do that. Um, so, no, don't do mommy and daddy. Don't do brother and sister. Don't do your children. Don't do beasties. Don't rape. You know, don't do that kind of stuff. And because it was so prevalent during the ancient times, that particularly in, in battles, that the victorious uh, side would the um, the losing side. God said, if if a man is down, don't take advantage of it. Yeah. It's perverted. Don't do that. But other than that, God really doesn't care. Uh, in fact, I, I was writing this chapter, and, and this will sound shocking to uh, many people, but I, I felt the need to say it. If I were to ask you, what is the sign of uh, of the covenant, what would you uh, answer? <laughs> I would have said the you know upright support the pillar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's uh, yeah, it is circumcision. But after after you clip that oh, little sorry, tip uh, off, what, what's left? <laughs> okay. So, yeah. so do you think that God has a hang up on sexuality? No. 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 He says, you know, I invented this thing, and I know you're going to have fun with it. So, no, God is not a prude. He's just not. And, uh, you know, the, the very identification of the side of the covenant, you know, it has a serious side to it. It is, it is the means that we use to, to demonstrate our love and to conceive children. And demonstrating our love and conceiving children is all uh, part and parcel of the covenant. But God wanted to make sure we'd have fun doing it. He is, he is a fun-loving guy. 
There's no question about it. So anyway, when he talks about adultery, which is the prevalent theme throughout Hosha, he's not talking about sexuality. He's talking about when his people have affairs with false gods. Right. Yeah, well. And it's Yahweh, for those who are the first-time uh, listeners. Yahweh's name is exceedingly easy to pronounce. It's, uh, it's comprised of uh, of four vowels, one of which is repeated, yod he wah he. Uh, the Y is pronounced like the uh, Y in English. In English, it is a consonant vowel. The Y is. The uh, he is pronounced as an ah. Uh, Haya is the verb that Yahweh used to identify himself. Uh, you find the ah sound from a hey at the end of the word Torah. The wah is also explained in Torah. You get the o sound in Torah from a wah. Uh, the shalom, which is constantly repeated among Jews, uh, the o sound in shalom comes from a wah. Uh, those are the letters. Yod hey wah hey. Yah, o, wah said to me, go out again and choose to love a woman who is amorous with, devoted to, and passionate about an evil neighbor and a moral fellow countryman, a loudmouth friend, and an undesirable companion. Raw. Raw is a, oh, all the raw words, including raw, mm-hmm. so in telling and Hebrew and the uh, you know, we we want to translate just uh, raw as uh, as neighbor, but that's like saying uh, that you're conveying one percent of what it means. Uh, wicked, no good, improper, immoral, unethical, irrational, countryman, neighbor, friend, associate. I'm unwilling to just say an amorous woman who is devoted to and passionate about one of those things, because it's all of those things. And it's interesting that ra'ah also means shepherd. And so it is uh, misleading and wicked shepherds as well. Who is an unfaithful adulteress involved in religious worship. Wa-na'af. She is an idolatrous whore. Similar to the way... Yahweh loves and desires to be with the children of Israel when they turn to the presence of other different and additional gods. And because that's a lot of information for one statement, that's Hosha Hebrew text 3.1. The interesting thing about uh, Yahweh, and uh, I brought this up because of the uh, criticisms that were um, uh, leveled at, uh, the, and by the way, it's, I, I like criticisms because when you see them, you say, okay, it's not going to be just one person. Many people are going to see it this way. It gives you a chance to, to refine uh, the, uh, the craft and, and make sure you have a better product in the end. Uh, but one of the things you came, you've become very obvious about is that Yah was not interested in working with perfect people. If Yahweh wanted to find a perfect messenger, he wouldn't need a messenger at all. First of all, he wouldn't find any candidates that are hard enough to find as it is. 
but they would serve no purpose. If Yahweh wanted to create a perfect message, he conveyed himself. He doesn't want to convey a perfect message. That's really hard to understand, I'm sure, for most people. That's not what he wants to do. He chooses people like Moshe and Dod and Yashaya and Yermaya and, uh, and Elia because they're flawed, because they're real, because they've succeeded and they have failed and they've gotten up again. God wants to filter what he has to say to us such that it resonates with us and it's real. And the only way to do that is to convey it through flawed, dented individuals who have had hard knocks. It's never more true than it is with Hosha. And God said, Hosha, I want you to have some empathy with my situation. I want you to be able to not just make this testimony right, but to keep it real. And the best way for that to happen is for you to go off and find a temple prostitute and then raise children of this temple prostitute. Then you'll have some idea what I'm dealing with with the children of Israel. So that's what he's talking about here. I know that is a stretch for most people to understand that, that God would want that kind of empathy or that God would want that kind of realism. People are saying, you know, well, you're pretty egotistical to claim that uh, God calls you to do this and uh, has inspired uh, you to to write, uh, translate and write these books. <laughs> you evidently aren't familiar with uh, the people that God chooses to work with. If you were, you'd know it's not a compliment. We're all flawed. <laughs> because he wants it to be real in addition to right. So he tells Moshe, go out again and choose a woman who is amorous with and devoted to, passionate about your neighbors, your moral associates, countrymen, loudmouth friends, the undesirable companion. She's just all over the place and she's got absolutely uh, no filter as to uh, uh, no sense of judgment she'll do anybody pick somebody faithful adulterous involved in religious worship I just uh, and I were talking about uh, dinner um, what the the risk is when a uh, a person marries somebody that is religious look what happened to Solomon he and everyone else lost the United Kingdom Everything. of Israel because he went off and married religious women. Bad choice. Terrible consequence. Look what happened with Israel when uh, Ahab uh, married uh, Jezebel, uh, a religious. Oh, is she from uh, Tyre or somewhere up there in, uh, in Phoenicia? Uh, 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 yeah, Lebanon which is Lebanon today, Phoenicia um, back in the day. Look what happened. Israel was destroyed. So this is what God is, is asking. I, I want you to identify with, uh, with what I'm up against. 
And then he explains that this unfaithful adulteress is really turning to the presence of other different and additional gods. Wahem, Pereel, Elohim, Akar. And they become the lovers of compressed raisin cakes. Uh, the innuendo there is that these raisin cakes were, were part of, in particular, Son of the Sun. The, uh, the Son of God was always conceived on uh, an Easter. Of course, he'd be born nine months later uh, during the winter solstice as the days began to, uh, to grow uh, longer. Um, in fact, we're uh, with just a couple of days from approaching what my adorable wife likes to call Shitmas, uh, the uh, holiday of <laughs> Christians, um, mm-hmm. where they have a baby god and their uh, their god comes into the world. He's uh, he's born as a uh, as a baby, and uh, and God their god is so small that uh, yeah, that uh, he will fill that little baby. That's, that's the size of their god. Uh, and although he grows into a full-size man, that's still not a very big God. He's not a very good God because, well, uh, he gets killed. But nonetheless, that is the, uh, that's the story and they're going with it. So loving someone who adores us in return, greatest of life's rewards, nothing's better. Endure unrequited love for most of the past 4,000 years, so let's be clear. God has no interest in our sexual relations. Therefore, he does not feel cheated when uh, we are affectionate or amorous with another person. He has no stated preference for monogamy over polygamy. Well, disgusting, this is not about Abraham offering to share Sarah with kings to increase his status among men. More to the point, since Dode is Yasha's, Yahweh's most beloved, his preference for 18 women, eight wives, ten concubines, rather than one, had no bearing on God's perception of him, and he was never called an adulterer. So God is not addressing sex, but instead using adultery to explain his overriding issue with his people desire to be devoted to the children of Israel when they turn to the presence of other different and additional gods. Turning to other gods is the result of religion. Period. With gods, you can have one or many. But with God, capital G, the one named Yahweh, there can be only one. This known if Shem would just be H Shem, <laughs> right? Why did you write Elohim instead of just Elohim? <laughs> Why? Why uh, replace Yahweh with Adonai? Uh, excuse me, with a DN <laughs> when it would have wouldn't that? <laughs> require doing so if we're going to be consistent? Now, since Hosea is a prophetic book, when we apply Yahweh's eternal truth to this day, so to uh, his promised return uh, to resolve this problem, it is impossible not to recognize Judaism 
as the current impediment to reconciliation. Rather than rabbis being the arbitrators of God's intent, they are frustrating it. So up to this point, Hosea has said very little, and Yahweh has conveyed a great deal about Israel's religious addiction. So I bartered, and I bought her for myself with 15 silver coins and as much barley as a pair of donkeys could carry. So <laughs> I just love the raw nature of this whole thing. So <laughs> I went out and bought her. <laughs> okay, well, if you're going to find a, if God says, I want you to go find a whore. Okay. <laughs> I went out and bought her. Oh, yeah, there you go. So I said to her, you can continue to live with me for a very long time. Okay, so he did buy her, but he was a gentleman. He says, listen, I know this is the transaction. I've been asked to do this by God. But between you and me, uh, I'm a good guy. Uh, I'm going to treat you right. And, uh, and uh, from my perspective, you can, you can, uh, we can be together for a long time. I, I'm not going to use you and toss you to the curb. You will no longer have to be a prostitute and to be demeaned, and you will not have to be with a man. So then, this is how I will be with you. He's even telling her, uh, he's even telling her, listen, I bought you fair and square. Uh, You know, the donkeys are are proof. (laughs) But but, uh, I'm not here to rape you. I bought you fair and square, but I'm going to tell you, you can live with me as long as you'd like. And you um, not only don't have to be a prostitute, I didn't buy you to pimp you out. I didn't buy you to control you as if you were my prostitute. I'm telling you, you not only don't have to be a prostitute anymore, but you don't even have to be with a man. So this is how... That's very generous. Considering. Yeah, so he... So, he, you know, he, he says, listen, I, I understand this. God wanted me to do so I could be an effective witness. But between you and me, um, you have free will. And, and you can use that free will to make your own decisions. I mean, that, that really is an extraordinary um, response, is it not? Mm-hmm. And I think yeah, when he basically figured out, listen, if God really wants me to, uh, to have children through her, then uh, it's all going to work out, and I'm not going to feel like a creep, and she's going to be fun to be around and enjoyable to be around because, well, quite frankly, I liberated her. And, you know, one of the things that's really interesting is that today, uh, because of drugs and uh, sex trafficking, the young girls that are used as prostitutes are usually very poorly uh, educated. They're drugged out of their mind, Uh, and uh, it it is not a... a, um, uh, a very, well, it's the, probably the least respected profession. That was not the case back then. Um, and the prostitutes were often very well educated. Uh, part of the, of the process was being able to be an intelligent dinner companion. And, and what's also interesting is that back in that day and through every culture, it's the wives that had absolutely no freedom. Yeah. They could seldom go out of the house. 
they had no autonomy of any kind. And so the prostitute was actually freer, better educated than the wife. More like a geisha? But it is uh, a very, very different kind of a world than we know today. But nonetheless, uh, Hosha is a uh, he's an honorable man. Uh, and I think he, uh, as Yahweh's prophet, he approached it just like Yahweh would. I am, what I am doing is I'm buying your freedom. I am not buying sex from you. I'm buying your freedom. So quite a story just in the, uh, the story. For by comparison, the children of Yisrael shall abide for a long time without a counselor or king without a patron or leader, without the ability to prepare a sacrifice, without an upright stone pillar or memorial, without the linen vestment to adorn the priest or someone to heal them of the familial god and religious idolatry. Hosea 3.4. So, it's beyond... That um, Hosea is is demonstrating in God's nature. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to ransom you from a uh, a life where uh, men are having their way with you. Uh, but your life and my life are going to be symbolic, because just as I'm offering you the opportunity to live with me for a long time, Israel is going to abide for a long time. But Israel is not going to have a counselor or king. You know, from about 450 BCE uh, to today, there hasn't been another prophet. That's a long intermission. Yeah. No counselor, no king. Israel hasn't had a uh, a king from about, uh, well, Israel actually hasn't had a king from, what, 700 BCE. Yeah, uh, hasn't had a king from, what, about um, 400 uh, BCE. So you're not going to have a counselor, you won't have a king. Not going to have a, a, a patron or leader. This is Sar. I would, I would render Sar now as a advocate for the king. Without the ability to prepare a sacrifice, there'll be uh, really no priests. Uh, and the priests are necessary because... God wants his Moed Mikre celebrated in a way that everything is symbolic. And yeah. the priests not only prepare the, the, the meal, uh, but they also explain what's going on. And, you know, really from the Maccabean period where they, you know, the fight was allegedly over not being Hellenized, uh, the fight was really over who's going to be in charge. Is it going to be the yeah. the rabbis? Uh, they didn't call themselves that at the time, but uh, anybody who aspired to a position of the priesthood, or is it just going to be the Levites as Yahweh had instructed? And also with the Levites, they couldn't own land or develop any kind of wealth, and the priesthood was going to be a very, very lucrative occupation. And so that's in the period of the uh, 4th century BCE, and, well, it's been that way ever since. Yeah. 
without the linen investment to adorn a priest. The next time we're going to see the linen investment that adorns a high priest, uh, the uh, ephod, uh, worn properly, it's going to be undoubted. Yeah. David, when he returns on Yom Kippurim with Yahweh, the returning Messiah, is also going to be in the role of high priest. He is the one who is going to anoint the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant, the Kippurim, on that day so that Yahweh's return and the reconciliation of his family is done properly in accordance with the Torah. So right. he'll be the next one adorned in that way. And the purpose of that is to heal them. But uh, and what they need to he be healed of is their religious idolatry. Finally, during the last days, the children of Yisrael will return. That's the thing that I love about really all of the prophets. This is a recurring theme throughout Yeshua, Isaiah, through Yermia, Jeremiah, through Zechariah, Zechariah, Malachi, Malachi, uh, here in Hosha, is that, yeah, there's going to be a long timeout. Um, and it's a timeout for religious behavior. Um, but in the end, Yahweh is going to reconcile his relationship with Yisrael. First, Yahudim and Israelites are going to reconcile one to another, and then they will reconcile with Yahweh, coming to know him by name, acknowledging his name, accepting the terms and conditions of the covenant, attending the Moed Mikre as they were articulated and designed. Now, at this point in time, the single best series of books to explain how that is to be done and to prepare oneself to be among the few who greet Yahweh on this day is Yada Yahweh. I wish yes. there were a thousand different other sites you could go to, but yadayah.com <laughs> is it. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the place you should go if you want to get to know Yahweh, appreciate the terms and conditions of the covenant, understand what God is offering and expecting in return. And if you want to know how to properly celebrate each of the seven Moed Mikre with them each year. If you want to learn how to pronounce his name, the importance of his name, and the very fact that there is one more exodus to be celebrated, and that is out of what is modern-day Babylon, uh, religiously, politically, geographically. Um, Political Babylon is is the United States, where about 40% of the Jewish population worldwide resides. Religious Babylon is the Roman Catholic Church, uh, where many, many converso Jews still live. And geographic Babylon is the uh, Middle East, all being called home to Israel. So eventually, during the last days, a car, in the end, the children of Israel will return. They're going to shoot, change their attitude, and they will come back and be restored. It was written in the call perfect. Sometimes the sims and the conjugations are really important. This is one of those occasions. The call stem means this is genuine, this is authentic, this is actual, to be interpreted literally. It's a non-nuanced stem. All stems in Hebrew 
speak of the relationship between the subject object relative to the action of the verb. The action of the verb here is to return, shub, and so it's the children of Israel. They are the uh, subject. They're going to return, uh, and the object here is to God, Yahweh. And that relationship exists then between Israel and Yahweh. The imperfect conjugation speaks of ongoing uh, activity. And, you know, in, in the book of, uh, of Ezekiel, where the writing is so um, remedial, I, I've just taken the perfect and imperfect and taken them down to the, the, the simplistic, the, the ultimate simplistic approach to them, which is that the uh, perfect conveys a completed action. So it's easiest mm-hmm. to convey it in the past. The imperfect conveys, conveys an ongoing action. It's ongoing that it's either in the present or the, in the future. Yeah. It could have been in the past as well, but it is, if it's ongoing, it is present and it will continue into the future. Uh, this was written in the imperfect, which means that there's an ongoing unfolding consequence over time and that the return is uh, ongoing. They will seek, this is speaking of the children of Israel. They will seek and find Yahweh, their God, along with Dode, their king and counselor. Stunning. So, yeah. the last day is the children Religion of Israel killer. will return. The final exodus. Put it on your bulletin board. The final exodus. In the last days, the children of Israel will return. What are they going to return to? It's not a what. It's not a where. It's a who. Return to the God whose name they're afraid to say. And so if you are among those who are afraid to say Yahweh, you aren't going to be part of the, uh, the group. You've excluded yourself. So you better learn how to say it why it's written that way, who he is, why he's in love with his name, why he wants you to embrace his name. Because if you don't seek and find Yahweh, you have excluded yourself. Yep. Now, if you do not know that Yahweh is your God, then you are depriving yourself of the greatest truth in all of history. Yahweh, never, 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 never works alone. Ever. He always, prime objective, is a form of relationship, and therefore, he's always working through people. He conveyed his testimony through prophets, real people. He governs and leads them through people. And in all of human history, there are two people that Yahweh enjoyed working with the most. One was the most proficient, I think, smartest, most articulate, uh, best character, most consistently upright, Moshe. But his favorite person was a 
bit of a lovable rogue. Note, David. <laughs> that was his favorite person. And it gives us all enormous um, confidence. Um, if Yama could say of Dode, he is my son, I am his father, I love him, he is right, he is vindicated, he is the guy that's returning with me, he is the king of kings. If Yama's going to say that of, of Dode, with all of the mistakes that man made in his life, then we're in really good, good, good place. We're in high cotton, as they say. Yeah, we are. <laughs> there's there's room for us, even with our flaws. Um, what this also means is that the Messiah is known. You ought not be yeah. wondering mm-hmm. who the Messiah is going to be. Um, the Son of God is doubt, David. It's not Jesus. The Messiah is David. Yahweh said so. Not Jesus. Uh, the one who is returning is David. Not Jesus. Uh, and there's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, one reason is that um, it's God's universe, and uh, he liked this man's personality. He liked his character. He liked his attitude. He liked his courage. Uh, he, he was a Renaissance man. He, a great lyricist, great singer, um, gifted writer, wonderful orator, uh, tremendously courageous, passionate, intellectual. These are characteristics that God liked. Uh, God liked shepherds, too. God loved this man, and so he's returning with a man that he loves most, and for all eternity, the management of people, the shepherding of people, the counseling of people, God's going to handle through doubt. doesn't mean we won't have direct access to God. We will. I was talking again to Leah during dinner night, and there's every indication that uh, yeah, I was a bit of an introvert in the sense that that. You know, the difference between an introvert and an extrovert is that an introvert is comfortable around very close friends and enjoys deep mm-hmm. and meaningful interactions and conversations with a limited number of people. Uh, and, but it has no issue occasionally being alone and then uh, knowing they're going to engage again with somebody they're comfortable being around. An extrovert is charged by being in a, in a larger group of people and finds people stimulating as opposed to draining. And so uh, God, I think, would be very comfortable if uh, if Dode were the only one in eternity, to say the truth. That's just his nature, although he would tell, tell us, just as he did with Adam, I'm going to give you a companion, too, because I know you're still a social creature, and, it, and you need to have an alternative to me so that we're, you're not totally dependent. Uh, but God's very comfortable with a limited number of people to be around. The more, the merrier. But uh, just uh, right, and Dode is his man. So, if you don't like Dode, David, uh, then you're not going to like eternity. 
And right. on the flip side of that is if you want to know what God likes the most, what he's looking for in a human being, what he respects in a human, and the, what kind of characteristics cause a person to be effective with him, then read the, the Mismore Psalms. Read what Shamuel, Samuel has to say of him. Read the Proverbs, the Mashal, which he wrote. And you will find what, uh, what God loves. And you'll also see what frustrates him because it's uh, very real. Lots of flaws. He's, he's kind of embodies just right all in a way. And they will come to show respect for me, even revere Yahweh for his beneficial qualities, his generosity and goodness uh, among the remnant of the last days. Remnant's not a whole heck of a lot of people. No. You know, there may be, uh, what, uh, 15 million Jews on the planet today? Um, there won't be nearly that many by the time he returns. It's going to be a really rough go between now and then. Um, and by the way, this date, if you're curious, um, October 2nd, 622 p.m., sunset in Jerusalem, Jerusalem, October 2nd, 2033. That is year 6,000 and the Day of Reconciliations, Yom Kippurah. Uh, that is when he is going to return. So, I you know the date. Right down to the minute. And you know who is returning, Yahweh. You know that the remnant of, of Israelites are going to be there with him. That your Messiah and King and Shepherd is going to arrive at the same time. It's no David. You'll recognize him. And you will also know that that of those who are part of that remnant and have returned to Yahweh, they all know his name. God has come up with an enormously generous plan. The, the benefits of the covenant are eternal life, perfection, adoption into Yahweh's family. He just happens to be God. That's a pretty good family to be adopted into the enrichment and empowerment of your soul. Uh, and that enrichment and empowerment is extraordinary because we're going from three-dimensional beings stuck in time to seven-dimensional beings with it being an infinite increase as we jump through those uh, dimensions with being essentially an energy-based, light-based being unable to maneuver uh, throughout the entire universe to uh, explore it and, of course, as energy, live forever. And all of this is spoken of in the last days. So it's a story with a very happy ending. Uh, any of the words in there, either Kirk or Dee, or, or other thoughts that you would like to uh, toss in? Because uh, from my perspective, Hosha 3.5 is about as good as it gets. Oh, yeah. If, if I may, Dee, if, uh, oh, there was, uh, what, what I do most of the time is, is I'll read the, the verses and I'll have my inlet area and all my things up at the same time and then I'll translate the words that uh, confuse me or maybe I hadn't done for a long time or just to get a clearer idea, reminders. 
And uh, here are my notes on this one. I said this is three religious killers uh, right off the top of the. Uh, now I have not. I don't read your commentary until I've done all my stuff to see how if I'm reading the same way. And of course, the first one was as we get close to that horrible uh, December date. Yahweh's returning. <laughs> he has a name. Yahweh's returning. He's coming with a Messiah named Dode, his son. So that wipes out uh, Christmas. They're not in fear of him. They're in awe of him uh, when, they, when he returns. So that's the nature that they're feeling now, not uh, trembling in fear and bowing down and all the stuff that you hear. And then the third thing was quite interesting. I, I looked up a Cherith and with the verbal root being a char. And that is a small remnant, I mean a small remaining group of people, uh, by definition. It's the leftover piece of cloth, if you like, from the boat that's already been sold off. So we're talking about a very small group. So once again, reinforcing so many of the concepts that we have, plus the fact that uh, you mentioned earlier that Yahweh likes to work with people. Obviously, that's true. But to, to uh, drive the point home, uh, he's coming with Dode, and Dode, of course, is going to put the blood on the mercy seat. So, I mean, um, throw all your religion away. Yahweh tells you what he wants, what he's after, who he's after. And uh, it's all, that little section probably took me all of about uh, 15 minutes to look up everything just to make sure. And I think you even say a lot of this in your, in your commentary, so I didn't want to steal your thunder. But uh, it's it's. Uh, I'm sorry, guys. It's there. Anybody can do this with a little bit of uh, perspiration. So, yeah. uh, my experience has been from the very beginning, and and 22 years ago, this was the first book that I attempted to translate, and it's been mm-hmm. the same reaction over those 22 years. Uh, Hosha is the most mentally stimulating and also emotionally draining of the prophets. Uh, I'm not going to say that he's my favorite prophet. I, I have a favorite. Um, uh, Yashaya. I have a very close and personal relationship with Yashaya. That might sound crazy to people, uh, but um, we we are buds. Uh, we, we work together. We are very supportive of one another. Yashaya uh, had an enormous amount to say about the role that I'm playing in and bringing his message uh, back to his people so that it finally resonates with them. Uh, so he is my favorite prophet. Um, the person that's bigger than life is Dode. Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, from a, from a style point of view, I'm enamored with uh, Elia because I just love sarcasm. I think it's the most intelligent form of humor, and Elia had it in spades. So there's a lot of people it'd be interesting to know, but uh, Hosha is just amazingly stimulating, but equally um, emotionally draining. It's a roller coaster. His message is unrelenting. It's like a a fire hose that's uh, full blast. And from... The religious prostitutes to the uh, infamous children, from Jezreel to the promised land, from the divorce to the reconciliation, uh, from the Lord and the cadre of false gods to Yahweh. It's all there. So 
why it's such an important book for Jews to appreciate and, and intellectual all, all at once. So in this particular statement, Israel is being compared to a high-priced religious whore. Um, kicked out of the bordello. I didn't want to say whore. That's such a derogatory term today. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm not going to pretend that yeah, I was not going to be impressed with a temple prostitute. But it it was um, um, a professional. It was a higher title. calling than it is today. Let's just say. Uh, anyway, uh, she she was bought and paid for. Uh, now she would be leaderless, however, as she now represents Israel. She'd be adrift, even though she'd been bought and paid for, ransom. Um, she would. Nevertheless, uh, um, not remember who had saved her. Yep. Her uh, priests and kings were gone. Her rabbis would replace the priests, while dictators of nations would rule over them instead of their counselors and kings. There'd be no way to reach them, no way to heal them from their religiosity. And such is the fate of all of those who believe false gods. But the story does not end that way. God's people, at least a remnant of them, will return in the end, the final exodus. Israel's relationship with Yahweh will be restored, but not with Hashem, not with Adonai. They will change their approach to God, and in so doing, they will find it, and they will learn what is needed to recognize Yahweh as their God at long last. And the first thing to, they will have to do is to throw away those things which uh, preclude them from seeing them. The Talmud, the Mishnah, the, the Zohar, the Christian New Testament, the Quran. Recognizing that this was written in centuries after Dode's passing, what, about 740-ish BCE, uh, Dode was uh, about 1,000 BCE. So this was written centuries after Dode's passing. The realization that the surviving Israelites in the last days will acknowledge Dode as their king upon Yahweh's return, well, well, that's exhilarating. And yet, it is another affirmation that kingdom and the return of the Messiah Everybody has wrong. Yeah. Religious Jews say, oh, our Messiah is coming. They don't have a clue who it is. Not a clue. <laughs> and Christians think that the Passover lamb, Yosha, they don't even know his name, that he is the Messiah, or they would call it the Christ, which means drugged in Greece. How could you be that stupid? This says, Dode is the one who is coming. Yahweh says three times, Dode, I anointed. He's my Messiah. I chose him. Yahweh says twice, Dode is my son, I am his father. You know how many times he says that of Jesus? Zero. <laughs> you know how many times Yahweh instructs people to, to anoint Jesus? Zero. The fact is, 
the shepherd and the Passover lamb have different roles. Yosha is exceedingly important, but for none of the reasons that Christians ascribe to him. He is the Passover lamb. Dode is the Messiah. So God's people at long last, a remnant of them, will return. Israel's relationship is restored. They will find God. They will recognize him at long last. This is another affirmation, as I've said, that so many in the religious community have it wrong. It means that Paul and Mohammedis and Akiba, Muhammad, they were all wrong. It is Yahweh, not Hashem, nor Jesus, who is returning. And he is the one who is going to garner his people's respect. It's hard to believe now, in the, as we're communicating in the deep freeze of the last days of 2022, um, just 11 years from uh, this majestic return, that the time is fast approaching when Jews will value Yahweh above their rabbis, and they will find him to be a greater benefit than Judaism. You know, with the Likud partnership now forming a government of of uh, right-wing religious wackos in, uh, in Israel, yeah. demonstrating for all to see mm-hmm. the flaws of the parliamentary system, and these religious Jews trying to politicize their way to, to control Israel, to force the nation to fund their religiosity, to disallow anyone immigration into Israel who isn't in lockstep agreement with them. Um, it's a horrible thing that the uh, nation of Israel has just done to itself. Um, and yet... We're just 11 years from Judaism being completely obsoleted. In this regard, it is also interesting to note that the ephod, the outer garment worn by the priest, um, was corrupted, according to what we read in Shabbat, Judges 8-27. All of Israel played the harlot. They were in love with Baal the Lord. The uh, Karaphim, then suggests that without the lowly priest serving as the people during Passover and Easter bread uh, and firstborn children, seven Shabbats, trumpets, reconciliations, and shelters, that there has been no healing in the household of Yisrael. And while this tragic story indeed has a happy ending, there's no reason to wait. If you are a Israelite, if you are Yehudim, if you are a Jew, why wait? In fact, if you're a Goy, like me, why wait? Like me. Yeah. Yahweh's here now, ready, willing to accept children with open arms. It is well past time for God's children to come home and those who would like to live with them to join them. The means to know Yahweh and engage in the covenant has always been straightforward. 
listen to him and then respond accordingly. But this has proven too difficult for most Israelites. This is the next statement. Listen, Shema, good advice, to the word, that's the right thing to focus on, of Yahweh, children of Yisrael. For it is certain that Yahweh has a dispute and grievance against the inhabitants of the land and earth. This is because there just is no honesty or integrity, no sense of devotion or loyalty. There is no understanding or thoughtful insights pertaining to God in the land and on earth. Mm. Wow. Yeah, the first chapter of Hosea is one of the most powerful ever written. And it begins with, um, the, uh, you wrote what I said today was the, uh, the most brilliant letter I've received in years. Uh, this time you have given Hosea 4-1 a rousing uh, applause with a wow. Um, (laughs) but but isn't that true it's a wow it is Uh, listen to the word of Yahweh children of Yisrael what does Yisrael mean Yisrael uh, has a positive and negative connotation as do so many Hebrew words it can either be the offspring of those who struggle and contend with God or it is the individual's to engage and endure with God. Uh, mm-hmm. Israel is actually named after, Ish means individual and El is God, but the Sarah in the middle in, in God's story. And it is Sarah who was given the great honor of having her name be the same as Israel, individuals who Sarah El. Shows you what God thought of this woman. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Listen to the word. Totally different the than the, Pardon? Uh, I was going to say it's totally different than the religious take on Sarah, who's often depicted no, as Jill. kind of like a shrew. Mm. You know. No, the, so it's the, really uh, beautiful to hear you say that. Yeah, uh, the reality is the uh, the nasty individual is Abraham. Listen, <laughs> Abraham is also a great example of keeping it real. Yeah. God God came to love him. He formed a relationship with him. Um, and I think it's because, well, Abraham was the best available. He was not good. He was not bright. He did a lot of really bad stuff. He pimped his wife out for personal wealth twice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is, this is not an example of a good man. He even claimed that Sarah was his uh, his sister, but it's not true. Yeah. One of the things that people get get confused about, uh, if Sarah was his sister, it'd be incest. That doesn't prove that. Yeah. No. Sarah was the stepdaughter of Abraham's father. Yeah. Which means that that genetically there was no link between Sarah and Abraham. So it's an important distinction. Now, I understand that Abraham claims otherwise, but Abraham was prone to be dishonest. <laughs> totally. But the scallywag in the story is Abraham. The heroine is uh, is uh, Sarah. She is the matriarch 
of Israel. Really, she's the matriarch of Israel, uh, and that's mm-hmm. why Israel bears her name. You know, you don't find Abraham's name in Israel, do you? <laughs> I understand that yeah. I'm. I am very critical of Abraham, and God loved the man, and uh, and God's uh, choice uh, is a billion, 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 billion times more important than me. Um, I think it has to do largely because Abraham was the only person he could find that was actually walking away from who was willing to listen to him, and that was enough. Yeah. And so, listen to the word of Yahweh, children of Yisrael, and it, in listen, Hosha's time, there were all different ages from young to old, and yet he refers to them as children of Yisrael. Uh, and mm-hmm. the reason for that is they are his family. They're his people. And so from his perspective, they are children. And he's the father. And that's the best way to look at God. If you look at God as you're a child, he's your father, you're going to love him. You're not going to be afraid of him. You're going to feel comfortable approaching him. You're going to want to spend time with him. You're going to accept him lifting you up as opposed to you trying to lift him up. And you most certainly will never refer to him as the Lord if you see him as your father. So the children of Israel is an exceedingly important concept for us to grasp. And it says, for it is certain that Yahweh has a dispute and a grievance against the inhabitants of the land and the earth. Ha, Eretz. Yes, he does. Not even one in a million people that knows who he is. This is because there is no honesty or integrity. Things that Yahweh values. He did not say there is no faith. No value of faith. He didn't say, I've got a dispute because there's not enough religion. Nope. <laughs> he didn't say, there is no, I've got a dispute because you're just not good enough. Not devoting, uh, donating enough money. No, no. Because you're not all prudes. You know, if you're all prudes, we'd be just fine. No. Because <laughs> there are not enough rabbis out there. No. Why? Because there's no honesty or an integrity, truth, validity, veracity. What did, um, you know, I, 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 we heard Kirk and how he analyzed uh, that particular passage, this letter that uh, Dee wrote today. I said it was the best I've received in five years. Why? Because it was filled with analysis. Mm-hmm. Somebody taking the time to verify and to expand and find out what more they could learn. This is the trait that Yah was looking for. Honest investigation. Uh, the search for validity, for truth, veracity. To become certain. To be consistent. That's what was lacking. And it is exceedingly rare today. Uh, my wife is, is trying to gather resources to help teach those searching to get to know Yahweh, logic. And the fallacies that are used by religion and politics to mislead people. Because you've got to understand logic and reason if you're going to come to appreciate that God verifies who he is and confirms what he's offering in 
expecting in return. Then he says, there's no sense of devotion or loyalty. I don't understand that. That's really and it's just hard to appreciate. I mean, I, I know it's a lot, but Yahweh is so wonderful to be around. He doesn't want to be worshipped. He asks almost nothing from, from us. He's willing to offer us everything. He's entertaining. He is enlightening. He's liberating. He's fun. He's empowering. He's enriching. <laughs> Why wouldn't everyone want to be devoted and not hanging out there? Yeah. Yes, to, to Yahweh. Then he says there's no understanding or thoughtful insights. Um, this is the thing that uh, that began this whole Yada Yada series. Um, I wanted to understand. I thought that once you came to know Yada, that you could begin make the connections to understand and then you could draw thoughtful insights relative to God and the relationship that he is seeking to form with us. And now, what, 25 volumes or more later. Um, Talk about insights. Yeah, wow. this, this is what we have. We have now, now a treasure trove of insights yeah. and, the, and the means it to understand Yahweh. So those are the things he's looking for. Honesty, integrity, uh, a search for the truth, uh, veracity, uh, a willingness to prove the validity of something, resulting in a sense of loyalty and devotion. And all of that leads to understanding, thoughtful insights. That's what God wants more of. Why did he love Dode? Well, there's the answer. Dode scores beyond anyone who has ever lived as it relates to Ameth, as it relates to Chesed, as it relates to Da'at. That's why I loved him. That word is why I, I exclaimed, wow, because if you ask the Jews, who are some of the smartest people on the planet, mm-hmm. you know, they have truth, they have insights, they speak. They're so devoted in their own thinking to, to just look at the scope of when it comes to Yahweh, you have none of these qualities. It's a shocking statement because that's not how they view themselves at all. Right. Yes, and, no, you're, you're correct that uh, as a ethnicity, the average IQ of the Jewish race is 15 points higher than uh, humanity at large. Yeah. Uh, that's that's significant. I mean, the average IQ is uh, is 100, and genius is 130. Uh, that would be what one percent of the uh, of the population. And Jews have a 15 percent uh, or 15 point IQ difference with the rest of humanity. Uh, they represent uh, a, a tiny fraction of two tenths of one percent of the world's population, and uh, they are responsible for about 40 percent of the world's most important inventions. A very, very intelligent race. And yet, apart from those who have come to know Yahweh through the translations and insights of this particular Goy, I don't think there's a Jew on the planet who's used their intellect to figure out who Yahweh is and what he's offering, what he expects in return. Guarantee it. So... 
there is this chasm that has affected Jews' willingness to apply their intellect to where it matters. The word of Yahweh, unfiltered by the religious, the rabbis, or anyone else. Now, I can understand if you're an agnostic Jew and you say, you know, religion's full of it. Why would I want to pay any attention to that? I agree with you. So does God. But his testimony is not religious. Consider what he has to say. And come to know him not on faith, not through religion. Come to know him through an honest investigation. Come to to develop a loyal and devoted relationship with him. And it's easy to do. Listen to what he has to say. Yeah, it Go is. where his words lead. Go ahead, Dee. No, I was agreeing with you. It really is a lot easier than people think. Yeah, it, it isn't. Listen, I'm not going to pretend like it's easy because God particularly made it such that it wouldn't be easy. Well, that sounds uh, contrary to what yes. you've probably been told. God does not want to save everyone. And he doesn't want knowing him to be easy. He, God loves honest work. He values when we are devoted enough to knowing him that we're willing to be observant, to listen, uh, to do the work that's required um, to know who he is and, and appreciate what he's offering and asking in return for 22 years. I do it 8 to 12 hours a day, uh, 6 and 7 days a week. Uh, I don't do it out of a sense of, of obligation, but out of a sense of adventure, of loyalty, of excitement. It's exceedingly rewarding. God values that. Yeah. And the reward is uh, probably more insights than uh, any one person has um, uh, developed from the Word of God, well, certainly in the last 2,000 years, probably in the past 3,000 years. I'm not, oh. I'm not sure it's not the most, because they couldn't understand a lot of the things that we know because of a scientific world, like uh, energy-based things and... and Yes, uh, I think it's true. Yeah, I think I mean, it's true. So, I think Moshe and yeah, were much brighter yeah. and much more in tune with everything that Yahweh has to offer. They're, best, they're the mm-hmm. best of the best. Um, but Moshe was chosen because he understood the religion, the politics, the caste system of, of Mitzrayim. Yeah and had not only rejected it, but was willing to risk his life to protect people from it. That's why Moshe was chosen. Moshe was not chosen because he had a Ph.D. in astronomy and uh, understood biology and, uh, and human uh, history and all the other kinds of things that help us form these insights. You know, E equals MC2, and why that matters was something way beyond him. Um, relativity, 
as it relates to the dimension of time was way beyond him. But it isn't beyond us. Dode, spectacular writer and orator, wonderful leader, courageous man, passionate. I mean, I, I just think of Dode as the ultimate leader. Walks into the room and everybody goes, wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's Dode. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Do you sing to us tonight? What, what, yeah. uh, extraordinary. But... What we have is so far beyond what they had. Dode wrote Proverbs about the the beauty of living in a family with Yahweh. Dode wrote Mismore songs about what his relationship was like with uh, Yahweh and how uh, that would play out over the chasm of time. But if you combine that and their understanding of the Torah... Uh, with a full appreciation of Dode's life, and then add to it prophets like Yashaya, uh, Yermaya, Zachariah, Malachi, Hosha. Then you are enriched further. And then you add the perspective of being able to see the whole story unfold and watch us um, yes. go headlong into this future that Yahweh has, has devoted so much prophetic ink to describing. And you, you see that whole picture, and then you have the benefit of archaeology and the benefit of, uh, of science and, uh, and can validate what Yahweh has said and can appreciate, for example, the creation account. Neither Moshe or Dode had any ability to, to recognize the relative nature of uh, time and that it does not flow the same for, uh, uh, for all viewers uh, and that it is affected by both velocity and by mass, significantly yeah. by those things. I said I created the, uh, the earth in the six 24-hour days, uh, they would have no way of knowing that that was 14 or 15 billion years. And that, yeah. that, that 14 to 15 billion years from Yahweh's perspective at the point of creation, that relative view and the presence of great velocity and, and uh, matter happens to be exactly... 24, six 24-hour days from our perspective here on Earth, which, by the way, didn't exist at the time. Yep. And we know Good that point. because yes. of the cosmic radiation background, which is where, where the waves are stretched to 10 to the 12th power. You take 14 billion years and you divide them by 10 to the 12th, you get six 24-hour days. There aren't different times at the same time. They had no concept of that, and yet we do. Right. And I think if you had asked either of them to explain when Dode is going to return, they could have done it. But we see the whole pageant played out right before our eyes, and it becomes exceedingly easy to do it. 
So yes, uh, there are more insights presented in the volumes of yada yada than maybe ever in human history because we share all of the wonderful insights that Moshe conveyed, all the wonderful insights that Dode conveyed, all of the wonderful insights of the prophets, and then we put them together to have so many more and to make it applicable to our time and to uh, both Yehudim and Goyim today. Yes. And, and through them, you'll come to know who Yahweh is and what he's offering, what he's expecting in return. And you'll be so surprised that he never asked you to pray to him. He never asked you to bow down to him. Bow down. He never asked you to worship him. He doesn't ask you to give him anything. Five things. Five and five. How many fingers do you have on your hand? Oh, five of them. Pretty <laughs> easy to remember. How about the other hand? Well, it was five of those. Okay. Five requests, five benefits. Exceedingly simple. First of those, we've already talked about. What was the, what's the lone prerequisite for being part of the covenant? Yeah, walk away. Walk Shake away from your country. From walk away from your culture. <laughs> walk away from your father's house. So until you do that, until you forego religion and politics and show a willingness to stop trusting in those things and recognizing that they are false, that they lead you away from God, that's the first thing you have to do. That's a prerequisite. Everybody that Yahweh engaged and put to work and worked through had taken that first step. The second is that God wants us to walk to him and become perfected. You might say, well, you can't be perfect, and you just said you're dented and flawed. What do you mean? He didn't say that you're supposed to be perfect, (laughs) but be perfected. God created the means. What is the means to be perfected? Now, this is really a a tough one for most uh, people because neither Jews nor Christians know the answer. Read the same book, don't know the answer. Yeah. Uh, perfection does not come well, from Passover, from the sacrifice of the Passover mm-hmm. lamb. That, that's eternal life. Uh, that can be either a really good thing or a really bad thing, depending on who, with whom you're spending yeah. it and where you're yeah. going to spend mm-hmm. it. Uh, perfection is matzah, the very thing that uh, religious Jews no longer celebrate, the thing that, well, Christians got no clue. You know, you go from their corrupted perversion of Pesach uh, to Bakurim, and, and no thought whatsoever as to what unyeasted bread was all yeah. about. But unyeasted bread is the means that God has to perfect us. It removes the fungus of sin, uh, of, of the, the fungus of religion and politics from our soul. That's how God perfects us. Walk to me and become perfected. The doorway is uh, Pesach. The threshold into God's home is Matzah, where we're perfected. It's the first step. He gets you done right off the bat. <laughs> the next thing that God uh, requests of us, by the way, those first two requests pretty much in our interest. The third thing he requests yeah. us is to, yes, uh, is to trust and rely upon me. Rather than trusting your religion and relying on your religion or your political party or your military or some other thing, come to trust and rely on, on Yahweh. 
I have, you have, you should. Trust and rely on Yahweh. It doesn't say believe in him. It doesn't say pray to him. It doesn't say worship. It doesn't say be devoted. Just trust and rely upon him. To do that, of course, you have to come to know him, and you have to know who he is and what he is offering if you're going to trust and rely on somebody. You know, you can walk across a bridge without trusting and relying on it, but if you're going to actually understand why it's trustworthy and you should rely on it, you need to know how that bridge was built and likely even who built it. And I don't know what. Well, that story yeah. is told in the Torah and Prophets. The fourth requirement that God asks is to closely examine and carefully consider the mitzvah. You know, I've been translated, as I shared, uh, Ezekiel. He is really big into the misfat, which are uh, it's a means to exercise good judgment, but it's mm-hmm. typically just decisions. And he is really big into the choke, which be prescriptions for living. But the thing that makes you right with God is the mitzvah. It's the terms and conditions of the covenant. It is the, the instructions that God provided on what he's offering and what he's expecting in return. And God says, observe those. Closely examine and carefully consider them. You do that, you'll be able to trust and rely on them. You do that, you'll walk to them, become perfect. And, of course, the prerequisite, you've already walked away. The fifth condition we've already talked about, the sign of the covenant. Men should be circumcised, and as parents, we circumcise our sons on the eighth day so that we remember to raise them as part of Yahweh's family. Five conditions. There are five benefits. Those five benefits are provided through our attendance at the first form Oed Mikre, the form Oed Mikre that were fulfilled in year 4000 Yah, 3033, or excuse me, 33 CE. They are Pesach, which opens the doorway to life, Matzah, which perfects our souls, removing the fungus of religion and politics from them. God's not worried about individual sin. You know, you uh, you thought uh, wild and crazy thoughts of Mary Lou as she walked down the street. Doesn't care. Uh, you thought, boy, it would really be nice to uh, live in that guy's house. Coveting it doesn't care. Really just doesn't. Uh, what he cares about uh, is your relationship with him and your willingness to forego a relationship with false gods. So the first step, Pesach opens the doorway to life. Um, matzah, he scrubs your soul of the things that matter, the things that really stain it, religion and politics. And then on Bukhuram, firstborn children, you're adopted into his family, becoming children of the living God. Hey. Um, such that uh, seven sevens later, 49 uh, days from Bukhuram, 50 days from Matzah, mm-hmm. uh, is Shabuah, where we are enriched, we are empowered, we're enlightened by God. These are the first four Moed Mikre that were fulfilled in the year 4000 Yah. The next Moed Mikre to be fulfilled is Teruah. Uh, to a very large extent, and maybe to the most important extent, it is being fulfilled in your listening. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, in 2001, 32 years before Yahweh would return with Dode, he asked me to join him in this mission on Teruah. We are Teruahing on this program. That is what we're about. That is, Teruah is the, is the sum total of the 25 volumes you'll find at yadiyad.com. We are the living embodiment of what he wanted to done with Teruah, where you call out a warning to his people, telling them that religion and politics are deadly, mistaken, and they're leading them astray, while at the same time you're sharing the message that we are conveying about the covenant, about the Moed Mikre, about Yahweh's name, and about him calling us home. This is followed by the single most important day in the history of the universe. Second chance for God's people. Kaporim reconciliations. It is when Yahweh Dode will be returning in 2033, October 2nd, at sundown in Jerusalem. It is not a day of affliction, not a day for twirling chickens over your head. It's not a high holy day. Uh, it is simply a day where God's wayward children, no longer religious, look up to Yahweh, recognize him by name, acknowledge his name, know his name, celebrate his name, appreciate these terms and conditions of the covenant, appreciate what he is offering us in return, have answered the invitation for the Moed Mikre, and are there waiting for him, along with God. Yom Kippurim, the day of reconciliations, which leads five days later to Sukkah, because God's story is that he conceived us as humans in the Garden of Eden, a perfect place of wonderful fellowship where we were together. And he's returning us to the Garden of Eden. Sukkah is where we camp out with Yahweh for a thousand years here on earth as he lives with us on this planet. Sukkah, the return to Eden. That is his story. He's inviting you to participate. And we invite you to listen in again to this time next week as uh, we pursue what I think is the, uh, the most important chapter in all of the prophets, um, okay. Hosea chapter 4. We'll return again to uh, the first verse of it and then move on from uh, there. May Yahweh bless. Have a, a wonderful uh, uh, evening and day. Uh, and, um, day tomorrow with uh, with Yahweh. I, I view that Shabbat is not a day to do nothing. It is a, Shabbat is a word, is a verb, and it is uh, Yahweh. It's the best day of the week. May Yahweh bless you Absolutely. all. Absolutely. Right. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night.